All right. Hello, everyone. How's everybody feeling? Great. All right. Uh, yeah, like Matt said, uh, my name is David An. I'm uh, an intern pastor at New Philly Hongdae. Is my mic on? I feel like it's not on right now. Is, is it just me? All right. I'm just going to yell. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so this is my fourth year as an Emmaus staff, uh, unofficially. Uh, I, I stopped becoming staff like a summer or two ago, but I'm, I'm still here. Uh, I told this at KU but uh, when I preached uh, a month ago, but you ever like get, you ever rub against something and you just get like a weird smell like on your arm and it just follows you like the, the rest of the day and you're like, where's that smell? Oh, it's on me. Like, and you wash it off, but you just can't get rid of it. I'm like that smell. You just can't. <laughs> You just can't get rid of me. Like, I'm, I'm with Emmaus. It's been four years. I'm still here. I'm sorry, Emmaus staff. I'm still here. But I know you're happy that I'm here. Um, so this is my fourth year as an Emmaus uh, staff slash volunteer slash uh, praise leader slash uh, driver, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but this is my eighth year doing college ministry. Uh, I did uh, four years as a student. And I did one year in um, Tokyo. I was with a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. I did a college ministry out there as well. So, yeah, it's been a really fun ride. Uh, I want to just share that. My college ministry is just so important. That's, that's part of the reason why I'm here. I really believe in it. Everything that the staff is doing, it's, they believe in it too. That's why they're here. And I want to tell you, man, this is some of the most formative years of your life. Things that I learned as a student when I was in college ministry, it's helped me become who I am today. So take this time seriously, whether you have a year left, three years left, or, or ten years left. And I don't know how long some of you guys are going to be in college, but no matter how many years you have left here, don't let a single semester, a single week go to waste. You guys got me? So for the first time ever, I'm going to do a two-point sermon. Wow, I've never done that before. I don't, I don't even know what it's going to feel like. But why don't you uh, tell um, three of the best-looking people around you and tell them Pastor David is going to preach a two-point sermon. It's good. You guys are nice. You know, I'm just saying uh, everybody's good-looking, best-looking. All right. It's going to be a two-point sermon. And my first point to you is this. God is a God of favor. Amen. Amen. Say it with me now. God is a God of favor. favor. Say to your neighbor, say right into his or her face, God is a God of favor. favor. Say it with some sass, with some attitude. I know you guys are sassy. Yeah, God is a God of favor. And another word for this word favor is this word grace. You got in John chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, it says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In Proverbs 8.35, it says, Forever whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. This pastor named Jerry Bridges, he says, Grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. 
It is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. Say, God is a God of favor. And I want to ask you, what does it mean that God is a God of favor to you? When I say the word grace, when I say God is a God of grace, a God of favor, what does that mean to you? What kind of uh, questions or images or answers flow through your head when I say God is a God of favor? You know, the word says that God's grace, it's described as surpassing. In 1 Timothy 2.7, it says it's, God's grace is immeasurable. In Romans 5.15, it says it's overflowing or abounding for many. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see, the God of favor, this God of grace, it ultimately means the God of the gospel. Anyone here ever heard of the gospel? I was, I was part of this, um, again, I was part of this uh, campus ministry called uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, CCC. In Korea, they say shi shi shi. It's a little different. And we had these little uh, bright yellow booklets called the Four Spiritual Laws. Anyone seen it before? Come on, that's what I'm talking about. You guys are some good Bible-reading, evangelizing believers. Thank you, all three of you who know what that booklet is. Uh, it was a booklet, and um, it, just, it just talked about the gospel. It was a, I had to memorize the first ten pages you know, when I was a student. Um, the four spiritual laws, just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, so the spiritual laws that govern your relationship with God. I'm not going to keep going, but pretty much it's the gospel message. And, you know, the, the God of the gospel is ultimately just talking about grace the gospel is talking about grace you know it says it talks about god's plan you know john three sixteen. this is probably one of the most well-known bible verses ever for god uh, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life in john ten ten, it says that i came that they might have life and might have it abundantly and that's god's heart for you he loves you And he has such a good plan for you. He wants you to live life to the fullest. But there's a problem. And that problem is sin. In Romans uh, 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death. And what's the solution? Jesus Christ, right? I know this is a message that many of you may have heard, or maybe this is your first time hearing it. But what I'm saying is, God is a God of favor. He's a God of grace. But that grace means the grace that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He didn't say I'm the coolest way. I'm the easiest way. I'm the flashiest way. But I'm the way. I'm the only way. No one comes to the Father but through me. God is a God of favor because... In Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is God of favor because he's given us a gift that is free and undeserving. And we see this in regards to salvation. You know, as I just shared the whole gospel message, you know, Jesus came to bring life and and give it to us so that we may have it abundantly. But this whole concept of favor and grace, it doesn't, it's not just limited to our salvation. 
It's also for our gifts and our various callings that God has given us and placed on us while we're here on earth. And I want to ask you, did you guys ever get something you know you didn't deserve? Maybe right when I asked that question, there was a list of things that you knew that you didn't deserve, but you somehow got it. Just be honest with me. Please raise your hand up if you ever got something that you know you did not deserve. Thank you. That, thank you, God, that everyone here in this room is honest. Uh, last weekend, I got to play at this basketball tournament. It was for a cause, Voice of Martyrs, and it's, it's a ministry that serves uh, persecuted Christians all over the world, but uh, especially in North Korea. And it was just to raise awareness and, and funds for this cause. And uh, a bunch of churches and other um, organizations, like, like, a, like a taco store, you know, they, they went there. They submitted a team. And uh, I got to play. And, man, I haven't played ball in a long time. And let me tell you, my body also told me that after this weekend. <laughs> and we went in there. Uh, we had one guy who was really good, Dihan, David Han. He used to be here last semester. Uh, he's not with us anymore. He's, he's still alive. <laughs> He's still alive, but uh, he's just somewhere. Uh, no, he's at, he's at KU, but uh, he's probably like the best player. But me and the other guys, like, we, we were not like on his level. And more than that, we never played with each other. And it was our first time playing. We played like seven games almost back-to-back. It was only 15 minutes, but it felt like 15 hours because we were just pushing and going, like no breaks. Uh, again, my body was feeling it. And, and, man, when I went in, I was like, David, just... Look, this is a Christian-ish event. Uh, people know you're from a church. Some people even know you're a pastor. Just be really nice. Just have a good attitude. You know, don't try to, don't try to be so zealous and, and win the whole thing, but just, just take it easy. You know, just, just make sure you don't lose, but just have a good attitude. Give thanks with a grateful heart. You know, just be happy. Just be happy. And let me tell you that the grace of God, the favor of God is real because we won the whole thing, baby. We won the whole thing. Oh, man. I still can't believe it. Oh, God is good. Man, I've been sleeping right before I went to bed the last couple nights. I just, God, we actually won. Man, God, God, he's, he's, he's got some favor, let me tell you. And that's, that's like one, not small, but one really... Uh, obnoxious example of me getting something that I know I didn't deserve. I didn't practice for it. Our team didn't practice for it. It just kind of happened. Um, again, by the grace of God. And I want to ask you, did you ever get something you know that you didn't deserve? I, I started off by saying, God is a God of favor. And I'm just going to, you know, I shared a personal example. I'm sure you guys have some of your own examples. But I want to just share one example from the Bible. And there's this man his name's David, not this David, but another David. Anyone here know King David? Heard of him? You know, he's the guy who wrote a bunch of the Psalms. And in First Samuel chapter sixteen, you don't have to turn there, uh, but what happens here is there's this man named Saul. He was the first king of Israel, and he did some bad things. Uh, he kind of disobeyed, and he wasn't able to become king anymore. So what happens, Samuel? The man, the prophet of God who anoints Sam, uh, Saul as king, he says, hey, uh, God tells Samuel, hey, Saul's not king anymore, but I'm going to po- make you appoint a new king. So he goes and he's sent to this man named Jesse. And then as soon as Samuel goes there, he meets uh, Jesse's sons. And he has about eight sons all together. And he meets the oldest, this guy, Eliab. Everyone say Eliab. 
I don't even know if that's the right way you say it, but Eliab. And it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, I think this is a verse that many of you are familiar with. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, but man uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So you, you have Samuel here. He has the oldest son. And then, bam, God uh, just speaks to him says, Don't look at the outer appearance. Look at the, look at the heart. Because I, I look at the heart. Just keep hearing my voice. Then he gets to the next son. Then he gets to the next son. And then seven of them all together. And then he, Samuel doesn't have the, the witness. God doesn't say, hey, this is the one. So what does Samuel do? He goes to Jesse and he says, the Lord has not chosen these. And then he asks, are all your sons here? Jesse responds by saying, there remains yet the youngest. Or in other words, the smallest. That's another way you could say it. And he says, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Now, anyone here, the youngest sibling? Can I get a, can I get a little, um, I know what that feels like, yes, to be the youngest sibling. All right, what's, someone tell me the, the biggest gap that they have. If you think you have the biggest, 20? Are right, you want it. Oh, Oh, man. You want to preach? All right. Uh, man, 20, all right. So, yeah, I, I had like had like you know divided by three like six and then and then nine so there's a little, little big gap but let me tell you man it wasn't fun being the youngest sibling and being the only boy youngest sibling. i had two older sisters and my oldest one she was like my um second mom my middle one we fought all the time and she was stronger than me most of the time she would tickle me she would pin me down she do all these things. And, and let me tell you, I know what it feels like to be like David right here. Like, you know, this insignificant guy, the youngest. Like, he's not even at this event. He's like miles away just chilling with some sheep, you know. I, David was neglected. I know what it feels like to be neglected is what I'm saying. You know, being the youngest, being the smallest. And, you know, there's this pastor, Eugene Peterson. He says that this word youngest or smallest, it carries the undertones of insignificance, of not counting for very much. This guy, Eugene Peterson, he's the guy who wrote the message, the Bible, the message. So his whole, um, like all his degrees and everything, he knows all about the languages back in the day and, and the original meaning and what it meant back then. And he, he's saying that this word youngest, it meant insignificant. It meant that you didn't count for very much. In other words, when it says here that David was the youngest, it meant that he was certainly not a prime candidate for something like a king. He was the family runt. And then to make it even worse, he's not the youngest or the smallest, but what, what happens? He's tending the sheep. And that was a lame job. Anyone here have a lame job before? All right, thank you for shyly raising your hand up, everyone. Uh, I think I had some lame jobs. But anyways, uh, yeah, yeah, lame jobs. Uh, it was like, tending sheep was like the least demanding of all jobs on the farm. It was the place where you could do the least damage. You know, because sheep are really stupid, but they're resilient. So, you know, it's like, they're like, hey, you, you go there. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to clean these sheep. Go for it. And David's doing this. It's like... It's like babysitting for a neighbor or like bagging groceries at like the supermarket. It's like it was a very menial job that was just meant for kind of like young teenagers like David. You know, and that's, that's what he's doing here. But 
as you guys may already know which direction I'm going, what happens? Samuel, he eventually meets David. And what happens? It says that David was chosen and anointed. And he wasn't chosen for what anybody saw in him. No, not even his father or his brothers or even Samuel saw that. But it was because of what God saw in him. And not only was he chosen, but he was anointed as king by God through Samuel to live to God's glory. So what happens, eventually David became king of Judah, then eventually all of Israel, simply because of God's favor. Simply because of a gift that was given to him. Not because of what he had done, not because of any merit or any of his works, but it was a gift that was freely given to him. Do you guys know what that feels like? Have you ever received something free? Whether it was the gospel like Jesus, you know, God's son, God's perfect gift to us. You know, we got that free, but maybe even here in Emmaus. You know, you guys come here week in and week out. Maybe some of you guys need to come in more times every week and a week out. But, you know, you, you come here, you get blessed, you hear amazing speakers, you know, that are holding the mic like me, right? Okay, I'm just kidding. No, you, you hear amazing speakers. Let me say, there, there's some awesome speakers that come through here every semester. And, uh, yeah, you got awesome praise leaders. Joyce, woo! Yeah, you know? Uh, you have awesome staff who are, who are sewed, sewing into, who are committed, who come here to lead your familias, to lead your 615 prayer meetings, to just uh, fast and pray for this campus, you know, who want to see revival, who believe that, man, even though you guys are just students and you may be fairly young, that you are going to make an impact to the rest of the world. You know, you have staff that are, have made three-year commitments and have remade three-year commitments and have made lifelong commitments, whether they know it or not. Man, you have, you have people here who really believe in you and, and you receive so much, right? There's a lot of favor on you here in this way. And you've, you've been given something that was just freely given to you, right? And that's kind of what happened here for David. And then, you know, he says that he became king of all Israel, but it didn't happen overnight. And this leads to my second point. So, man, you don't have to remember everything I said tonight, but this is what I do want you to remember. My first point is what? God is a God of favor. And my second point is this. God is a God of favor, but not favors. That's all you got to write. And I will not feel, uh, you don't have to feel bad if you don't take any other notes. That, that's all I want you to write. That's all I want you to think about. That's all I want you to tell yourself the rest of the week. God is a God of favor, not favors. And when I say that, what does that mean to you? It means that when God speaks his life and his promises over you, whether it's directly uh, you know, through him in prayer or through his word or through your Emmaus staff or your familiar leader, when God speaks to you, it doesn't mean you don't sit idly by and just wait till it happens. When God speaks a promise over you, it doesn't mean you just chill and wait. It doesn't mean that you just sit on your couch, you just eat your potato chips or your polka chips, you know, as it is here in Korea. You just eat junk food and you have, you know, TV show marathon binges and you just sit back. And then it doesn't mean you do that. And then you just expect God's promises to be fulfilled. When I say God is a God of favor, but not favors, I'm saying God doesn't just want you to come and attend Emmaus large groups. 
and then do nothing else, and then you expect that you're going to get your financial breakthrough. You're going to get your breakthrough in your grades. You're going to get your breakthrough in your future job and your career. When I say God is a God of favor and not favors, I'm meaning that God doesn't expect you just to be free from your habitual sins or, or certain sin patterns when you refuse to go out and set others free. When you refuse to share the good news of the gospel to others. You see, what I'm saying is, just the Christian faith in general, it's all about grace. It's all about favor. And God is a God of favor, but not favors. He's not going to do everything for you. He's not going to let you get the great grace that you're, you're asking for. He's not going to give you the financial breakthrough that you're asking for if it's just simply you just sitting there idly by. See, the Christian faith, it's not a passive faith. You see, when, you, when we encounter God's favor, there are two responses a believer can have. And the first one is this, striving. You know, when you get God's favor and when you see it, you can just strive and try to make matters, uh, take matters into your own hands. You know, when someone, when your familiar leader says, oh man, you're going to do great uh, in your studies and your exams, and you just need to keep being faithful and coming out to large group and familiar and all these other things, and you got to just keep uh, prioritizing God in your quiet times, and you need to uh, protect that intimacy with God. When your familiar leader says that, there's one response you could have, and that's striving. You could just try to do it with all your flesh. You could just try to take matters into your own hands. When certain promises are spoken over, you can strive and try to reach for God's promises, not with God's favor, but through your own works. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. You know, King Saul, what happened was he was trying to take matters into his own hands. He was trying to minister to God. He was trying to be a king by himself in his own works. And what happened, it says in 1 Chronicles 10, 13 to 14, says that, so Saul died for his breach of faith. This is, this is at the end of his life. It says that he broke faith with the Lord and that he did not keep the command of the Lord. And he did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. You see, Saul, he was striving. The favor of the Lord was upon him, but man, he forgot. He, he didn't real, like he, he took matters into his own hands and then that's when he went wrong. You know, God's favor is over all, each and every one of you guys. And one response to that is just striving. But another response is this, submitting. I want to say it with me, submit. You know, when God speaks to you and he speaks life over you and he speaks certain promises over you and he, and he wants to see it fulfilled, maybe even more than you do, it's so easy for us to strive. It's so easy for us to take matters into our own hands. But what God wants you to do is to submit. You see, David, he was a young boy. He was the youngest. He was the smallest. And it, Samuel anointed him. He chose him and said, man, you're going to be king of Israel one day. But it didn't happen the next day. If you guys follow the narrative of David's life, what happened is, you know, he, he, he gets some favor. He fights this dude named Goliath. He kills him. Yippee. You know, he, he gains favor in Saul's courts as well. He starts playing uh, the harp and all these things. And he, he gets um, higher ranking in the military and all this stuff. But what happens is Saul wants to kill him. He turns him away from the kingdom. You know, David is just running around for years. But what happens is, you know, he probably remembered the promise that God spoke to him. Hey, you're going to be king one day. 
And what happened? This evil man, or this man who became evil, Saul, God orchestrates it in a way so that David's able to pretty much kill him. And not only does it happen once, but it happens twice. The first time, it's a little embarrassing. What happens is, you know, it says that Saul went to go relieve himself. So he went into a cave, and he's all by himself. If you don't know what relieve yourself means, you do it every day. Let me just tell you that. But what happens is David goes to him, and it says that he was so close to him, he could have killed him, but he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to touch the Lord's anointed. So he just ripped off a corner of his robe, and then he, takes, he goes away and he says, Look, sorry, I could have killed you, but I didn't take matters into my own hands. A second time it happens, and this time, uh, yeah, Saul was just resting, and he was so close, but he didn't do it again. And he, instead, he just takes um, like, a, like a bucket or something next to his head. I forget what it was. So he takes something really close to him and says like, Hey, look, so I could have killed you again. But look, I didn't take matters into my own hands because, man, I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord. And, you know, David had two opportunities to kill Saul twice, but he didn't. And it's because he feared God, but he also knew that the favor of God was upon him. He knew that, man, when this prophet of God, Samuel, said, oh, you're going to be king of Israel one day, he knew that he didn't have to force it. He didn't have to make it happen. So what did he do? He submitted to God. He was steadfast. He remained in God's will. He knew that the favor of God was upon him. But not only did he just submit, he also didn't sit idly by. You know, it says over and over again, there's this one um, writing where, you know, David's just doing his own thing with all his uh, mighty men. And they're out. And then what happens is these other uh, invaders come and they just take all of their belongings not only that, they take all the women and the children and they just run away with it. And then it's like they've returned. They're all broken. They're all, you know, uh, mourning because they're fearing the worst. You know, their wives, their children's got children's, their children got stolen away, their belongings, everything that they had, their source of security is taken away from them and they're broken and they're grieving and they're mourning. And it's gotten to the point where, man, they respect David so much and they love and they honor this guy so much, but they're, They've, they've run out of steam. They're like, they're even thinking about rebelling. They're thinking about running away. They're thinking about even just taking over, you know, a, a coup d'etat over King David. And David's desperate. And what does he do? It says that he goes to a quiet place and he inquires of the Lord. Even in that moment where he lost everything, he still chose to submit everything to God. And what I'm here to tell you is that, man, whether it's the good times or the bad times, God's heart for you to respond to his favor is to submit. And originally, I thought there was just two responses to this. What did I say? Striving or submitting, right? And there's another one. Just to set aside. I think one of the easiest ways to see this is, man, you come here and you come to, let's say, your familia, and there's really you know, cool teaching, and there's a really good-looking familiar leader, you know, Matt Coe, just speaking words of life over you and saying, like, man, uh, God's plans for you are so big, and you don't even know what's going to happen, and you're going to touch so many, and God's going to use you to bring breakthrough into your family and the future families, and and God's going to, and you don't even know, man, what God's, what God uh, has planned for you. You know, you, you hear this, 
And you know what that is? That's your familiar leader seeing, saying, hey, I see the gold that's in you. And I'm trying to pull that out from you. Because, man, you, you don't even know. You're not even like close to what God really wants you to be, be. You know, you're good right now. You understand the gospel now. You're set free now. But, man, God has so much more in store for you. And your familiar leader is just trying to pull that out of you. And, and in, other, in other words, that's God just speaking his favor, his life, his grace upon you. But what are you going to do about it? Are you going to strive? Are you going to submit to that word? Or are you going to set it aside? Man, let me tell you, I was so tempted. I was talking to Tina the other day, and I was, I was so tempted to be like, man, I'm going to come real strong and hard. Like, man, you, you guys don't even know how good you have it. Because, man, when I was a college student, I wish there was an Emmaus ministry. I wish there was an anointed praise leader. I wish there was anointed staff that led prayer uh, really powerfully and did announcements as charismatic as, you know, others, Emmaus staff. And, man, I, like, I, I wanted to say this. And maybe I'm saying it right now, you know, just out of the flesh. But I wanted to say that, but I knew that wouldn't connect with you guys. Because it's just me just yelling at you. But what I want, the impression I want to leave upon you guys is, man, God loves you so much. And God's favor is all over you. And you've, you've seen it even before Emmaus. But especially since you came out of here, whether it was this semester or last semester or a year three years ago, God's favor is all upon you. And he's encountered you. He's, he's shown you things that, man, you, you didn't even know God was going to release in your life. He's spoken promises to you through his word, through your familiar leader, through your classmates. Really grand promises. And there's only so much your Emmaus staff can do. There's only so much that your Emmaus campus director, Tina Lee, can do by just exhorting you and, and um, yeah, just challenging you to live a certain life of holiness and to live daringly great for God, to live a life of faith. There's only so much we can do by challenging you, but it's so much more powerful when you guys respond and not just set it aside. Are you guys catching my heart? You guys need to learn this now. You guys need to make this a part of who you are now because like I said, and I started off, man, college ministry, I believe in it. Because I've seen the fruit that it's made on my life, on my friends' lives. Man, so many people, so many powerful ministers, you know, speak about, man, my life is the way it is now simply because of college ministry. And that's your story too. But, you know, God wants to take it from glory to glory. But what he's saying is, man, I'm releasing even greater revelation at this hour. I'm releasing greater promises, greater favor upon your lives amongst this generation. But what he's saying is, will you set it aside? Will you strive or will you submit? God is a God of favor and not favors. God's shown you his favor and he's saying, what are you going to do with it? You know, I was counting down the days that we have remaining here in the semester. And we got like a month left. Not even. We got a month left. And like I said, God's blessed many of you here. You guys received some teachings that will change the rest of your life. Some of you have received love for who you are, not for what you do. You know, for the first time in a community, you've seen amazing things. You've heard amazing testimonies. And my question to you is, with the remaining time you have left this semester, what are you going to do with the favor that God has released over you?
How are you going to respond? Are you going to press in for more? Are you going to believe that God is a God of favor and not just favors? And there's this parable that Jesus talks about. It's a parable of the talents. Anyone ever heard of this parable before? If you did, you could shake your head. And uh, thank you, Bernadette. Um, and in this parable, there's this uh, master. And he has a couple servants. And then you have this one uh, servant who had you know, one talent. And what happened? He multiplied it. He had two. And then there's another uh, servant who had five talents. And then what happens is they just kept uh, multiplying it. And, and he, got, he went from five to ten. And then there was this uh, other servant. I'm sorry. He was the one that just had one, right? <laughs> I went from two to four. Oh, this is the word of God. Uh, it went from two to four and then five to ten. And then this third servant, what happens is he didn't do anything with it. He just buried it. And then what happens is the master comes back. And then he's like, oh, man, great. You, had, yeah, you went from two to four. Oh, yeah, five to ten. Oh, hallelujah. This is great. This is the David Ahn version, by the way. And, and then he goes to the last servant who only had one talent. And he goes, you didn't do anything with it? You, you just buried it? And then he says, man, at least put it in the safest bank you know, in the world and, and get a minimal interest. You, know, get, get some, you should have made a return on this talent that I've given you. And then what does he say? You're a wicked servant. And it says that, man, even what he has, it was taken away from him and it was given to the man who, had, who multiplied five to ten talents. And there's this, see, what you got to realize is God has given each and every one of you certain talents. And I'm not just talking about, you know, dance talents or singing talents or, you know, but there's just certain responsibilities that God's given you. There's certain teachings, there's certain words that have come here from, you know, different speakers or from your uh, different familiar leaders or your campus staff. And God's given you certain words that have ultimately come from him and he's challenging you and he's saying, what are you going to do with it? You know, when someone speaks upon about, you know, God of intimacy and saying, man, you got to press in for intimacy. You got to be intimate with God. And when you hear that, you're like, mm, that's good. That's great. Oh, what are, what are we going to eat at? Are we going to McDonald's again after this large group? Like, what, what are we going to do with it? You know, and, and if you leave it at that and you don't do anything after that, if you don't, never mind just applying it to yourself, but if you don't even multiply it or share that with others, if you don't live that out, let me tell you, you're burying your talent. And it's okay now, because God's a God of a grace, you know, unmerited favor. But he's not a God of just favors. God loves to partner with you. God loves to give you something, but he wants to see you do something with it. Yeah, whether you're a one-semester international student studying abroad, or you're a four-year student here, I'm saying you all have received various talents And God's saying, what are you going to do with it? That's my challenge to you tonight. And just to remind you of this challenge, just just a little kick in the butt, you know, just throughout this whole week, I want you guys to just keep telling yourself, God is a God of favor, but not favors. Amen?
Let's pray.